Welcome to Brighton Road Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us. My name is David Sheldon, and I'll be leading us through this service. Later on, you'll be hearing from David Wickersham as he speaks to us on the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And others will be contributing with prayers and readings, testimony and songs. So it's good to be part of a community and together we bring our worship to our God, who is full of glory and majesty, gracious and compassionate, merciful, forgiving, faithful, trustworthy, just and good. So let's bring him our praise with our opening song. Praise him, you heavens and all that's above. Praise him, you angels and heavenly hosts. Let the whole earth praise him.
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, let his love endure forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. The Lord has done this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine upon us. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever.
Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to bring you praise and worship, to declare that you are a good God. Father, there is no one in heaven like you, and only you are worthy of our praise. Thank you that nothing can separate us from your love, neither angels nor demons, the present nor the future, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Thank you that your faithful, never-ending love surrounds us from the moment we were created and will never leave us throughout eternity. Amen. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Let us sing power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you.
Let's pray again. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray and to give us more than we deserve. Your majesty is beyond imagination. You are the eternal king, high and lifted up, the one whom the angels worship. Your power is beyond understanding. You are the creator God who shakes the heavens, yet holds us in his hands. Your mercy is beyond our deserving. You are the saviour God, once born for us, now sacrificed in love. Forgive the smallness of our faith, the magnitude of our need, the depth of our sorrow. Raise us up to new life and new ways of service through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our next song reminds us that it's only our God, the King of glory, the King above all kings, who can break the power of sin and darkness. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross. You laid down your life, that I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me.
Let us bring our thoughts and concerns for our world to God in prayer. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, creator and sustainer of this beautiful world in which we live, we are sorry for the times that we do not care for and conserve all that with which you have blessed us. Help us, we pray, to live in such a way that there is sufficient for all from the resources that we have been gifted. We lift before you all those in positions of power and authority. We pray that you would surround them with wise counsel and grant them your wisdom in their decision-making, that truth and justice would prevail in all aspects of our daily lives. We pray too for all those in Christian service around the world, and in particular those that we as a church support. Lord, would you see where they are right now, and would you grant each one of them what you know to be their greatest need? May the work to which you have called them not be hampered by the current pandemic, and would you surround them all with your care and protection at this time? Lord, we pray for those known to us who need our particular prayers at the moment. We remember our students, those returning to university and those going for the first time. Lord, would you go ahead of them, watch over them and protect them. We pray too for those of our fellowship who are grieving, those who are anxious, those who are sick, those who are in pain, those who are weary. Lord God, we hold them before you now, asking that you would place your loving hand on their lives, that they might know your perfect peace, which passes all understanding. Lord, at a time when there is so much uncertainty, we thank you that you promise to be the same yesterday, today and forever. Your steadfast love for us never changes. You are our rock and our refuge. We pray that these truths might be a blessing and comfort to all who are finding the current situation deeply challenging. Father, accept these prayers that we offer in the precious name of your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hi, my name is Brian. I just wanted to give us some background prior to me moving down here to look after Ian five years ago. I was brought up on a farm near Barnes Green, where we lived in a Thai cottage. What I remember of my childhood is that I was very lonely most of the time. My father, who was responsible for everything from milking to planting crops, he always seemed to me that he was always at work or in hospital. My mother, who suffered from clinical depressions, which were classed as having religious mania. This resulted in her being institutionalised at various times in her life, where she received electric shock treatments to alter her thought pattern. I don't blame my parents for anything I went through. I love them. It was just the circumstances I found myself in. I first met Ian while we were living there. He used to deliver our bread. He was a really good, really good help to my mother and me when my father was in Guildford Hospital, taking us to and fro 38 times. We formed a friendship from then on. When my father reached retirement age, he expected he would be able to live in a cottage, 
as he had been promised. But as we never had it in writing, in writing, resulting in us being evicted, ending up in a block of flats in Ruffey. My father died when I was 13. My mother, sometime after, had another breakdown and managed somehow to carry on my own. It was then that someone sexually abused me. Until recently, I'd never shared this with anyone. My relationship with my mother was always turbulent due to her illness and my lack of empathy. As I started to have relationships of my own, she confessed to me that she was jealous of me. I had always steered away from God and Christianity because of what I had witnessed concerning my mother. My life with God started when I was 38, when my second wife-to-be stated she wanted to get married in church. I was very, very reluctant and hostile, but however, I did agree, but said I didn't want anything to do with that lot. All I can say is that God had different ideas. After three months, I gave my life to Jesus and became a Christian. I can remember thinking how wonderful life was. I'd met the woman I was going to spend the rest of my life with and I found God, thinking it'd always be like this. After a couple of years, my mum was persuaded to move to Doncaster to be near my cousin Margaret. Then a short time later, my wife left me. I was devastated, thinking how could God allow this to happen? Though I'd never lost my faith completely, I did very much fall off the wagon. I had a great deal to learn what being a Christian really meant. However, I feel guided to move to Doncaster when my mother was virtually dumped by my cousin. Reference to Exodus 20, verse 12, Honour your mother and father. Before my mother died, God did two things. One, while on the visit, my mum turned to me and said, I am a Christian and not an atheist. Second, while seeing her in hospital, out of the blue, I said, Mum, I love you. She said the same back to me, and instant our whole relationship was healed. My life stumbled along till I found myself living in Sheffield in a wrong relationship, realising I had made such a mess of things. I found myself praying, confessing all my sins to God, asking for him for good forgiveness. I started reading the word for today by UCB. Everything began to change after I read Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which starts with trust in the Lord with all your heart. My faith at the time was as small as a mustard seed. I'd always kept in touch with Ian, and I started coming down on holidays to start with, doing jobs like cutting the grass, etc. He then asked me to move in initially for support but long-term to care for him to the end of his life, keeping him in his own home. In return, Ian said he'd leave his bungalow to me in his will. I prayed and prayed over this and felt very strongly that God was leading me home. It was my belief that it was God who sorted out all the hurdles that needed sorting. In other words, he made my paths straight.
So in November 2015, I moved in with Ian. I found a church and a job, thinking my life was at least secure. I began to get to know people in Parchis Green through a friend, Jenny. I joined a prayer group. For the first 18 months, everything was good. Then at Easter 2017, Ian ended up in Worthing Hospital, where he suffered from delirium. Tests later showed Ian had the early stages of dementia. The result was I made a decision to give up work to look after him. To start with, I was able to go out and leave him. That, however, changed over time. I sought advice from various care bodies who advised me to seek legal advice regarding my position if Ian ever needed to go into a care home. This I did only to be told that potentially I could be made homeless at worst or have deferred payments against a property at best. It came as a huge blow to me, leaving me again in turmoil. But I believed it was God who had brought me home. I believed also that God was a faithful God. I remember staying from the kitchen debating all that the solicitor had told me when I felt God's sake, why are you doubting me? Ian became increasingly more difficult to manage. His dementia became more and more aggressive. I was literally being held together in prayer. A glimmer of hope was given by a session with the seat of the CAB, who suggested I could possibly make a case for Ian to be seen as my partner living together as a cohabitating couple. I took this to my solicitor, who didn't think I could make a case. More hopes dashed, but I kept my faith and with support from lots of people, I was able to keep going. In the beginning of June, I reached rock bottom, knowing I could not handle any more. I called in social services. I was appointed with a social worker called Estelle, and from my initial contact, it was like a huge weight was lifted from me. Estelle came and assessed the situation, and her outcome was that I could no longer manage coping the way I was. I explained everything to Estelle, the fact that she really understood and cared. I was debating what to do when on Saturday the 6th of June, Ian was taken to hospital suffering from delirium. During the next few weeks, God completely took over the whole situation. Ian is settling into a nursing home. I had a call from Estelle the following an email from my solicitor saying that I met all the criteria so that the bungalow wouldn't be taken into consideration. It would be several months before the financial assessments are done. Then it will be written, I will get written confirmation. I have a great deal of trust in Estelle, but because I trust in God's faithfulness, I feel safe that I can begin to plan for the future, keep myself rooted in Christ. I'd like to finish with this worship song, Faithful God by Chris Bowalter.
Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has been in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Today I'm dressed up for a favourite pastime of mine, Brick Lane. As a toddler I played with timber bricks. It was in my teens that I naturally progressed to ones that needed mortar. Getting my first house was just an excuse to spend Saturdays building an extension. And when I found myself with Covid symptoms and having to self-isolate earlier this year, it was a great opportunity to build another wall. So I'd love to spend a couple of hours with you talking about different sorts of bricks, brick bonds, mortar mixes. It's all so exciting. But for now I'll confine myself to explaining how to set out a building, just in case you fancy building your own house. Now the quickest and most accurate way to lay bricks is to place each one on a bed of mortar and then adjust its position until its top edge, called the aris, just sits alongside the line. But this prompts a question, doesn't it? What's holding up the line? The answer is the corners. Bricklayers always start by raising corners. When you look at a building, you probably just see elevations. But for a bricklayer, the elevations are simply the bits that fill in the gaps between the corners. For them, it's the corners that define the location, size and shape of the building. Now, a wise bricklayer will start by considering which corner should be built first. Many years ago I knew a bricklayer who was building a large block of flats. 
but starting at the wrong corner, he discovered that the other end of the building, the flank, was less than one metre from his neighbour's boundary. And that contravened planning requirements and fire precautions. He'd had to demolish the whole lot and start again, this time by raising a corner at this end of the building and making sure it was more than a metre from the boundary. So if we assume this is the corner we're starting at, it poses another question. Is there one brick here that is particularly important to get right? The answer is that it's this one. It's the first one I laid. Of course, around Horsham we have access to some of the finest clays for brickmaking. If we were building a particularly grand building or we had no clay, we quarry stone. But every component of the building, every joist, every gutter, tile, pane of glass, will ultimately be correctly positioned relative either to this brick or the cornerstone. Now at this point, I need to share with you a serious problem I've got. You see, the Bible is full of similes, metaphors and parables in which difficult ideas are explained by referring to something that the hearer will be familiar with and will readily understand. But think about it. Have you ever seen a cornerstone? Does the man in the street know what a cornerstone is? I've just spent three minutes explaining how the principle of a cornerstone survives in modern building practice. But this only means that you've learned how somewhere in a corner of your home, a few feet under the level of your asphalt drive or beneath your flower bed, there is a brick that was the first laid and from which the position of all other bricks and components of your home will have been directly or indirectly measured. But sadly, that brick will have been taken from a stack of a couple of thousand identical bricks. And more to the point, it will have been covered as the foundations were backfilled and has never been seen since. Meaning that neither you nor I have ever set eyes on our corner bricks and their purpose needs to be explained with grand theory of measurement and building site practice. I might have brought you up to speed on the practical use of a cornerstone, but it clearly doesn't fully represent the grand ideas that the prophets and gospel writers had in mind, and assumed that you and I would understand. And whilst taking this tack, Perhaps I should point out that amongst six different Bible translations, the same word normally translated as cornerstone is sometimes translated as capstone, mainstone or chiefstone. Could it be that even our Bible translators are now a bit hazy over the significance and importance of the cornerstone? If something has got lost over the years, then maybe we have no choice but to do a bit of time travelling to get the full impact of what a cornerstone would have meant a few thousand years ago. So I want you to imagine for the moment that you were an ancient Athenian, born shortly after the Persians had invaded in 480 BC, destroying the temple on the Acropolis and leaving the city's heights as a wasteland of rubble. 
Just imagine what it must have felt like in 447 BC, after the Persians had finally been expelled, to see a massive earth ramp built. And in due course, see dozens of yoked oxen straining to haul a single huge rectangular block of perfectly finished stone, with sharp arises and weighing many tons, to the summit of the Acropolis. And then seeing that stone placed in view of the entire city on bedrock that had been prepared and dressed to accept it. Over the next nine years you would have then watched as from this cornerstone the entire Parthenon with 69 columns, massive lintels, pediments and friezes were set out and brought to completion. As a citizen of Athens, you needn't have understood subtleties of site planning or site measurement, but seeing the arrival of that cornerstone, you would have known that it announced how a massive temple was to unfold. It would have been a visual thing, a spectacle played out in front of you. So equally, for those to whom the metaphor was addressed in Isaiah 28 verse 16, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a block of granite, a precious cornerstone, well founded. Isaiah's hearers must have known that God was planning to build something very, very special. So my earlier technical description of what a cornerstone might did might have been okay, but it fell well short of what the prophets or gospel writers would have expected you to feel about its significance. Staying briefly in Athens, it was here, of course, that Paul arrived in 51 AD. It was soon after his arrival that he was summoned by the Areopagus Council to explain how he came to be preaching about a foreign god in Athens. And so it was that standing on a rocky outcrop, just below the Acropolis, where the council met, and with Greek temples to be seen all around him, Paul declared boldly that our God does not live in temples made with hands. That would not have gone down well with the council, who were responsible for all religious activity in Athens, and were proud guardians of all its temples. So sadly, with the exception of one member of the council, Dionysius, who was converted, the council rejected Paul's teachings and rejected Jesus. They were to continue to lay cornerstones and keep building temples for their Greek gods for another 400 years. But thanks to God's grace shown to us in Jesus, it's our destiny to be a part of that temple not made with hands. And it's by focusing on Jesus as our cornerstone, diligently and prayerfully, seeking to know his will for us, we will find ourselves incorporated within it. As Paul explained to the Ephesians, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.
Namaste.